Hey, welcome to the H&HR podcast. My name is Heather Taves. And I am Heidi Bolt. And we're sisters. We believe here at the H&H Hour that your ordinary is extraordinary. Thanks for listening. Hey friends, welcome today. We're so excited to be back here with you. Heather and I truly love connecting with you and sharing stories. And honestly, we love hearing your feedback Mm -hmm. about our guest. I know we just had an incredible episode recently of some guests and you guys just gave such great feedback, um, both to us, but also to our guest. And I just, I told one girl in particular, I said, I love that God is showing you that your story is impacting lives. Yeah. So yeah, I love that. Heather, how are you today? I'm so good. I'm really, really excited about this conversation for yeah. a couple of reasons. One, because it's one of my favorite people in the whole world. Yeah, same. And the fact that God saw fit to weave our lives together is something I never take for granted. For a very long time. For a very long time. 39 years to be exact. 39 years? Right. 39 years we've been <laughs> friends with this person. <laughs> Yes. He's he's quite he's being quiet right now, but I'm I'm about ready to ask him about that age here in a second. So without further ado, Than Bennett, welcome to the H and H hour. Well, first of all, I'm not 39 yet. Okay, you were like just right around the corner, bro. Yeah, but that that is that's not cool. I already feel like I'm 89, so let's not take away a couple of months from me. Okay, but, fine. Uh, 38. Hi. 38 till May. Yeah, don't steal those months. See, this is why I knew there was quiet on your end just because you were being polite. I knew you were about ready to like correct <laughs> no, her. It, it was anger. Yeah, it was anger. <laughs> okay, so sweet listeners, this is our brother. And he he is right in the middle of Heather and myself in our sibling lineup. And for real, we have been great, awesome friends our whole lives. So technically, we've been friends 37 years because I'm the baby of this little the, the three oldest. Mm-hmm. So, so you're not 30, too far behind. 37 years. Yeah, the three big kids. That's what we are. That's what we are. Yeah. Yeah. So, Than, you've been on our show before, and we're super pumped to reconnect with you. And we have a really exciting reason that we're connecting with you today, specifically. Yes. Because uh, today, you launched your second book, and it is on shelves today. And all of our listeners can experience this incredible book. So tell us a little bit about how you feel today about that book getting put in the hands. Well, I tell you what, I mean, honestly, it's just a an incredible marker of the grace of God more than anything. I mean, this is this is something you guys that and you you know this story, and maybe some of your listeners do too, but this this was never um in the plan, right? I mean, I, I, I work in public policy, I work in, in politics, and uh, before I embarked on this journey, I didn't know the first thing about how to write a book or how to, how to get a book published. And just maybe to tell the short version of the story, I spent 15 years after God told me to write for him, uh, giving him all the reasons why I couldn't do it. And, um, you know, ultimately it came down to the, the excuse that I wanted him to send somebody else. Wow. And then on um, April 19th, 2015, in response to a message that my pastor gave, um, I, I finally relented and told God that I would write and then I would leave it up to him what to do uh, with what I wrote. And I kind of, kind of, you guys thought that that would be the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought maybe he was just wanting my obedience. And so I wrote and we're about five years uh, from that day. And it has meant uh, three manuscripts. Uh, two of them have now been published. And yeah, the most recent of which it's my fame, his fame, and it's on bookshelves today. And honestly, though, I mean, that, that's the story, you guys. But uh, the message, which I know we're going to get into and I know you agree with this, but I, I just I believe this with all my heart. I think we are on the edge of a moment where God's people are going to decide that what they've had up until now is no longer good enough and that, mm-hmm. that God has more for us. And um, we can talk about some of these details, but I think God's ready and I think he's been waiting on us to be ready. And I just think we're on the edge of this moment. I think this book is just a tiny little part of this. I think God's going to do things. Uh, you know, across the world and, and through his people. And together, uh, they are going to culminate in a, in a repeat of the mighty acts of old from God. I could not agree more. And I love, I feel like God is saying the same thing to his people in all yep. different locations, you know, because you're on, you're in the DC area and we're in central Illinois. 
And yet we have friends on the West Coast and he's saying the same thing. And pastors across the world, like we're hearing him repeat the same words to his people over and over and over. And I just, Than, I think that your book is so timely. I think that it is just a word straight from God and it is so anointed and it is such, it is for such a time as this. And I agree with you. I think that it's, um, God is up to something really significant and I really think that we all have the opportunity to be a part of it. And it's about our heart condition if we're willing. Yeah, couldn't agree with more with that. I mean, and honestly, Heidi, that's that's the main message of this book. I mean, I the, part of the reason I wrote it um, is because I so related to the story of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is this this prophet who uh, decides, well, he, he's upset with his culture, right? He looks around, he doesn't like the fact that the evil are winning and that injustice is triumphing over justice. And he lashes out at God and he says, what, you know, God, where have you been? And, um, there, there's a, there's sort of a, a convoluted back and forth where God and Habakkuk go back and forth, back and forth. But ultimately what happens is God says, look, I, I never left. I've been here all along and my power has been ready to be revealed to your people who are in trouble, but it's been waiting on you. I have, I have intentionally created my fame and my power and glory in a way that it is meant to be entangled, uh, with my people. And right now, Habakkuk, that means you. Mm-hmm. And I, I just I just really think that that we're at that moment. I I have done a lot of complaining over the years and over the decades about what I see around me. Mm-hmm. And I just feel so deeply convicted in my spirit that that has been the wrong approach. Yes, our culture is out of step uh, with, with God and with, with Jesus, and, and so am I. Uh, but complaining about it isn't what we are called to do. We, we are called to actually be the transport of the solution, which is God's fame. So that story of Habakkuk, uh, Heidi, is, is kind of what, what triggered this. But as I got deeper and deeper into it, the, the layers of that story and the layers of lessons that unfolded, I agree with you. It, it's, it's for this time and we're on the edge of the moment where we have to make the decision. Yeah, that's so good, Than. I um, have to explain to our listeners the other day. So we got the privilege of reading an early manuscript that you gave us last summer. Or... Sorry about the typos. <laughs> no, it was, it was fine. But we got early copies too. And so we got them in the mail, what, last week maybe? And I picked it up and I started reading it and I was texting you and I was like, he's going to make, he's going to laugh because I can't even get through the introduction. Like I'm so stuck just in the introduction of this book because so much of it resonated with me so strongly. And I was reading paragraphs over and over and over again and highlighting them and then sitting and meditating on that because I, it was just connecting with me so deeply. And, um, one of the, I mean, I underlined so many things and I just want to highlight a couple of them. One of them said, I am terrified. I might miss the role I am intended to play in bringing that dream into reality and seeing God's fame, um, be, you know, be made known in our time. And I was like, that hit me so deeply because I feel that like, what if I miss it? What if I'm so busy and so distracted or fearful that I miss my opportunity to be a part of that? Yeah, those are the first three words of the book, Heather. I am terrified. And and I I honestly, and I mean, I mean it because I I do think there's an opportunity for us to engage in the mighty acts of God. But this, this is a choice. This is not something that he pours out against our will. This is something that he offers to us. And if we decide we're going to walk in something other than his power, he, he allows that. And I do think that there have been generations and, and, you know, maybe mine has been one of them up until a time where we have chosen uh, not to walk in that. And I, I would, I, I guess I would tell you a couple of things, you know, uh, when you start talking about this, initially it sort of feels like a, a kick in the pants, right? Like this is all just woe is us. There's a flip side of this though. I mean, what could be better than being invited into the story of the creator of the universe and saying, I have a, a message that I want to, that I want to, to, to speak to the nations and I have a story that I want to play out. And you're the main character. Mm-hmm. You are the central cast of, I mean, so there's two sides to it. Yeah. I'm terrified that I'll miss out. But I'm also exhilarated that he wants to he wants me to play a role in it. And um, I guess just one other thing I would say in response to you saying you were you know underlining as you read, 
I actually don't know if I can tell you this story without getting emotional myself, but I've got a colleague here who actually appeared in my first book. His name is Ben, and he was reading it uh, last week. And he texted me, and he told me that he couldn't get past the introductory verse before he got to a to a single word that I wrote, you guys. He, he broke down, and, and he wept. And, and I want to read that verse to you because this, this, it sets the tone for, for the message that I think is for all of us who follow Jesus today. Mm-hmm. Um, it's spoken by Habakkuk, but, but it, Habakkuk gets to a point where he doesn't know if he trusts God. He doesn't know if God's going to show up, but he decides that he's going to call God out anyway, and he's going to be there if God does show up. And here's what he says, and this is what I want us to stand on going forward. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And I would just tell you, we deserve wrath, but he's offering us mercy. But he's waiting on us to be the ones that call it out. And so, honestly, I mean, I know we're at the beginning of our time here, but if if there's only one thing that people take away... I want them to take away that verse, Habakkuk 3.2. You may not be convinced at this point, but that's okay. God wants us to be the ones that step into the gap so that when he pours out his fame and his power, there's someone there to receive it and take it to a world in need. So Habakkuk 3.2, that's the proclamation that I hope will stand on. That's so good. As you were reading that, I just had goosebumps. Mm -hmm. Holy Spirit chills all over my body. That was That's so good. Um, I love following that. Uh, it's still in, in the introduction. You talk about how, and I underlined every time you said this, you're, there's a paragraph that talks about how you felt for so long. And it, it was, I've waited for him. I have waited. I have waited. I have waited. You said it four times. Yep. And then you've grown frustrated. And then just down the page, you said, you repeat this, a different phrase over and over. And this time you say, I am ready for Mm -hmm. that. I am ready for God to step in. I am ready for his time of silence to end. I am ready for his, for his fame. I am ready for these days. I am ready to do it. And I love that, that, that perspective shift where all of a sudden it's like, it's not just about us Mm -hmm. saying, I'm waiting on you, God, to take the step. It's saying, okay, now I'm ready. God, use me however you want. It, it's it's the pivotal um, shift, Heather. It really is. And I mean, look, this is not an accident either. And I, I just I've, I've looked at this wrong uh, for so long. I mean, I, I think one of, one of the I'll tell you this, one of the things that I've gotten back with some people that just see the concept of the book, uh, they, they wonder if it's kind of aimed at a, a human based solution that, you know, we're the solution. God's not the solution. Well, no, that's that's exactly opposite. Yeah, we were. We were created to glorify God. And my, my favorite verse that illustrates this is Isaiah 43, 21, mm-hmm. that says, the people I formed, for what purpose? The people I formed for myself, that they might proclaim my praise. And I make the argument in this book, Heather, that the reason God is waiting on us, the reason reason he just hasn't poured out uh, his answers is because the solution is actually secondary in his mind. What he's primarily after is the engagement with us, is the relationship with us. So it's not that he couldn't do this without us. It's that he doesn't want to do it mm-hmm. without us. He's intentionally entangled his fame and his power with the pinnacle of creation. I mean, there and there's two sides to that coin, right? I mean, we're the, we're the pinnacle of creation, and so he desires to glorify himself through us but we're also still the creation. So as we step into this, it's not for our fame, it's for his, but that doesn't negate the point that we were specifically created for fame. And I think the misinterpretations of fame that we see around us have, you know, sort of caused us to throw the baby out with the bathwater sometime. And it's, it's both and. Hmm. Well, and Than, I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't feel like this is a super popular topic that you're being called to talk about and that God has said, okay, this is your path right now, Than, for you to write about this. Um, is that, are you experiencing that as you've spent time promoting this book and, and writing it and hearing feedback about it? So, um, 
Yes and no. I, I would tell you, first of all, it's definitely a countercultural message. Yeah. Um, and, and I think we have to be okay with that because scripture tells us that we are going to be peculiar if we truly follow after him. Yeah. And so there's no doubt that I've been speaking this into places where it's not necessarily popular or it's not necessarily what, what we want to hear. I mean, look, all of us are drawn to this, this wrong uh, view of fame, right? The one that Madonna said she's not going to be uh, happy until she's famous like God. We all mm-hmm. like our platforms and our influence and our likes and all of the rest. So Heidi, in that sense, yes, it's countercultural and it's not well received. Mm-hmm. But at the same token, I, I, I'll go back to where we started this conversation. I honestly believe that we're on the edge of a moment mm-hmm. when, when God's people are going to choose this approach in droves. Yeah. And look, some, you know, some of us might have to be willing to step out first and it's not a pat on the back. I, I've resisted for a long time, yeah. uh, but I honestly don't think it's going to be a lonely place for a long guys. I think we're on the edge of a moment where this is something that God's people are going to say, that's what I want and I'm going for it. So I would say yes, countercultural for now, but I don't think for long. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about that. That last thing you talked about where you said you don't think it's going to be a lonely place for long. There was something in uh, in here that stuck with me. I mean, there were so many things, but this one truly, like, it brought me to tears because I felt this so often. Um, Habakkuk had not seen the incredible works and miracles and wonders of God that some of his, his forefathers had seen, mm-hmm. right? He had just heard about them. And I feel like that's where we are today. We have so many people who have not seen the wonders and the miracles of God. And so they really wonder if they're even true. And Habakkuk is saying, like, he's proclaiming them even though he hasn't seen them. That's the point that he gets to. And you say, our task is the same. If we truly want to experience the mighty fame of our God in these times, we have to proclaim it. And then this is the part that just got me. You said, and we must do it into the void. Hmm. And the reason that that struck me so deeply is because I have felt that for so long. Like, Lord, I feel like I have this message. I feel like I am proclaiming who you are in your goodness and your wonders. And I feel like no one is listening. I feel like I'm speaking into this void. Mm -hmm. And it hit me that that is where we have to start. And we have to keep saying it and keep proclaiming, even if no one is listening, because there are going to be people that are listening at some point. Yep. Uh, he's got to have somewhere to pour it out, Heather. I mean, he, he doesn't, he just doesn't pour it out uh, into emptiness. He pours it out into vessels that are living and breathing and can take it to a tangible world. I, you know, I, I, I'm not going to get this exactly right, but somewhere in that, that same stretch, I say something like, um, you know, the goal is for the fame of the almighty God to be revealed. And our hope is that it happens in our time, but our task is aiming what we have, our influence in our lives in the direction of his glory and his fame. And I would just tell you, I, the reason I don't think it's going to be a lonely place for, for long is because once that starts being revealed, once God's power starts showing up in real, tangible ways, yeah, a lot of people are going to reject it and go the other way, but it's also going to attract people to it like you cannot believe. And I really do think um, we're, on, we're on the edge of that moment. And I guess, I guess I would add this, too. I mean, one of the things that I try to bring up in this specific part of the conversation a lot is that God's fame is the answer, you guys, but we're the tangibility of it. And mm-hmm. I, already, I, already, I already said that he's intentionally entangled it with us, but think, of, think about it this way. I mean, we know, we know what our commands are, right? We're supposed to our love, love our neighbor. Well, the labor, our neighbor's not loved until we embrace them. Right. Uh, And we're supposed to confront injustice and that's, and that's God's fame that's supposed to, to do it. Well, injustice isn't confronted until we confront it. You know, God's fame wants to feed the hungry and give, give water to the thirsty. Well, they don't get fed until we give them a bite. They don't get a drink until we carry the water to them. And on down the line, it goes, we're the connectivity. We are the, uh, the tangibility of God's fame. So his fame is the answer and it will be attractive, but it won't be seen by a tangible world until we possess it. So Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's where, um, I missed it for so long. I, I was, I was waiting for him to pour it out and draw people to him side and he, his side. And he said, no, 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 that, that's your job. That's in fact why I made you. Well, and then I think it's so unique and, and we know this about you. You've never been one to 
strive to have the platform or even ask for it. Um, you're probably one of the last people I know personally who would want to be famous. Um, and yet here God's calling you to have your name on a radio broadcast and on published books. And so I think it's so unique that maybe your your personal feeling on it would be like, uh, yeah, God, I don't want to be famous. And yet he's like, no, guess what? I created you for fame and here it comes. So I want to I want to talk about that a little bit. Obviously the book title is My Fame, His Fame. So talk about that thought of you say it in the book, we were made for fame. First of all, just to your point, Heidi, I, I have to figure out how to do a couple of Facebook lives here in the next couple of weeks, and I don't even know how to do it. So, um, yeah, that, <laughs> that's, that's number one. Hashtag gold. Uh, yeah, well, you know, what, I, I'll, you, I'll check with my check with my eleven year old. Than, do you know what a um, hashtag is? Um, yeah, it's that, little, it's that little pound thing on the uh, phone, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but 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 to your point, Heidi, I mean this this is. We have to relearn what the proper definition, the biblical definition of fame is. And, I, you know, you sh- I start the book out right in chapter one about this, because when you and I hear fame, I think we we automatically think kind of what you just talked about. It's it's the pursuit of notoriety and affluence or, or wealth or, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. Um, and that will destroy you. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, that that is the pursuit of a personal fame will destroy you. But. It doesn't mean that we weren't created for fame, and I, I think I think the, the the proof of this is littered throughout Scripture. I already told you how Isaiah forty three does it, but really the the story of Habakkuk is the one that illustrates it the best to me. I mean the the, the fame that God said you know He would make Abraham into a great nation, and then He said He told Joshua that He would. Uh, spread his fame throughout all the land. And then when Habakkuk was angry with God because God wasn't showing up in the land, what God asked Habakkuk to do was to step into the line of duty and what? Proclaim his fame. So I I, I think my aversion to um, notoriety, I guess maybe is the right word for it, has actually been a hindrance. Now, we ha- you got to be really careful with this. this is the double-edged sword because, again, if personal fame is your goal, you, you will fall. But you guys, at the same time, how, how, many, how many famous people in the first definition of the word can you think of that are making monumental impacts for God? I know a lot of them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's not where you're at on the fame spectrum based on the definition that we know yeah. that will determine this. But it is about the fame that you're driving for. And if we reject that, uh, I, I would submit to you that your ability to impact the culture around you is going to suffer pretty greatly. That's so good. A couple of years ago, I went to be a part of a group of people that I thought were going to help me grow my platform and grow my <clears throat> influence. And all of the people that I was with, they were wonderful people. Um, and some of them had platforms that were larger than mine in the same feel the same vein that I'm in ministry and writing and podcasting. And, um, and I wouldn't have said this going in, but my primary reason for going was to get connected with those people. And there's nothing wrong with connections. Connections are awesome and they're incredible, but God had to do some heart surgery on me because, and he knew this. I mean, he took care of it instantly because the moment I stepped off of the bus, I lost my voice completely. And I literally could not talk the entire four days we were there. And by the end of the four days, no one knew anything about me. Like they knew my face and they probably knew my name, but they had no clue who Heather Taves was. And when I sat in my hotel room that night, just sobbing and feeling like a complete and utter failure from this four day weekend, he was so kind to say, you are, because I felt like no one knows me. I went to this, spent all this money and went to this four-day retreat and no one knows me. And I heard him so tenderly. You know, the Lord can be convicting and tender at the same time, disciplinary and tender at the same time. And he said, you are known by me and that has to be enough. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And when I read that part of your book, I was like, yes, that's what it is. Yeah. I love that so much, Heather. That's chapter two. It's called Known. And uh, the first line of it says, we try to be famous when we should long to be known. Yep. And, and look, it, you, you just, 
you can't make an impact for him or for those around you unless you're intimately known by the one who created you for the purpose of reaching those people. Right. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, I love your story about that retreat because this is something that I, I continue to try to balance every single day. And I'll I'll confess to you that I don't, I don't, I, I don't have it down. I think it's a lifetime of effort, but I think there's two sides to this coin on the one side We've got to be ready always to give a reason for the defense of the hope that lives within us, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got to prepare. You've got to be in his word. You've got to listen to what he says. You've got to seek his face. You've got to know him more. You've got to be ready. You've got to take it in, and you've got to, to fill yourself up. But then when it's time to communicate that to the world, you've got to lay it down. And you've got to say, okay, God, I've taken it in. I've retained it. I'm ready to speak. I'm ready to act. Now, what would you have me do? Mm. What would you have me say? What are your words? So again, it's sort of this, it's sort of this both and concept where it doesn't all depend on us, but some of it does, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we, we have to put in the work to know who he is if we want to tell other people about him. So, um, yeah, I love that. Well, and I want to speak to maybe the listener that's listening and goes, okay, well, okay, Than, you've written books and Heather and Heidi, you've got a podcast. So you guys have a platform to proclaim his fame. And maybe this listener is feeling like, I don't have any platform. Yeah, I want good. to read a part of your book. Um, and I think it's specifically for the listeners where you say, you too were created for fame. You were created to be a partner in greatness and a mouthpiece for power. Than, I think the important thing about what you said there is that you don't quantify the amount of impact that the mouthpiece of power can have. So if that listener is sitting here thinking, you know, I feel like I only impact my one neighbor, like I've never impacted more than just my one neighbor, to know that what what you've maybe been called to is to have the mouthpiece to give the fame of God to that one neighbor. And that what Than has been called to, to write books on a public level, and what Heather and I are called to right now, which is leading a church and podcasting, might look so different than what yours is. And I feel like what I love about this message, Than, is that you are calling every single one of us out and saying, we are all created to spread the fame of God, every single one of us. Like it doesn't fall on the pastors and it doesn't fall on the leaders and it doesn't fall on just the the Christian authors writing books. It's every single one of us. And I think that's so important for somebody to hear today. So I I write in the book about one of my dear friends here in DC, his name is Bill Wichterman, and he uh, describes the influence that he wants to have as caring less about the size and the scope of it and more about its potency. And he talks about how the size of a container is far less important than what it holds, right? A, a tiny little container of something that is potent has more both danger and potential than a vast container that is empty or is filled with something benign. And I, I think, Heidi, to, to illustrate the point, I, I really do think the best example is to go back uh, to Moses, because we, we sort of skip ahead to the end, and we, we remember him as this great hero of faith, right? But we forget that there was a time that God wanted to kill him. Right. And and God wanted to kill him, not really for some great sin. Yeah, he had murdered a guy. God didn't want to kill him for that. He wanted to kill him because of the excuse that we started out talking about. God, uh, Moses wanted wanted God to send someone else, right? That is why God wanted to kill him, because God he, Moses wanted God to send someone else. And what's amazing to me, you guys, is that the reason God ultimately decided to spare Moses wasn't because God was out of options. It wasn't because Moses was indispensable. None of us are. It was because God desired Moses. God had a plan for Moses, and he wanted Moses to be the one that delivered it, and he wasn't, able, he wasn't willing to give up on it. So there's this... Uh, there's this part in, in Habakkuk's story where Habakkuk is called to step into the line of duty and, and to guard the ramparts. And I would just argue to you guys that when we're looking around and we want God to send someone else for a certain task, there is no one else. Yeah. He created that task for you, yeah. not for me. And he created this task that I'm in the middle of for me. Not for you. And I, I just I think if we took if we had le- if we spent less time and energy 
sort of evaluating how much we like the task that God gives us Mm -hmm. and instead thinking, oh my goodness, the, the creator of the universe has decided that he wants me to play a specific role and no one else. Mm. I don't think there's anything else in the world you would rather do than that task, no matter how big or how small it is. Yeah, come on. That's so good. And in in a society where everything's microwave, you know, I mean, literally I had groceries delivered to my door today, 49 (laughs) minutes after I had ordered them. Yeah. (laughs) And um, we can get everything right away. And I love in where you say we need to come to terms with the reality that a pursuit of God's fame is not an overnight endeavor. Rather, it is a glimpse of the glory that God intends to do in and through us if we persevere. Mm -hmm. And we want that, we want that success and we want to see God move. We want to see it instantly. And when he doesn't move instantly or what we are called to do doesn't seem like it's working instantly, we give up. Mm -hmm. So talk to us a little bit about that persevering. Well, I, I, boy, I tell you what, there's so many layers you could go there with it, but I, I, I think I want to hook into where you said we give up. Um, I, I make the case in the book that we are way, way, way too eager to accept a narrow answer. And I would, I would argue, Heather, that, you know, sometimes, yeah, we give up, but also we just walk away too soon. I mean, um, I think about, uh, the story in Genesis 18 where Abraham, uh, God is telling Abraham he's going to destroy Sodom because of their wickedness. And I got to tell you, I, I think most of my life, if that's the message I receive from God, I love it, right? Mm-hmm. God's going to rain down his judgment, um, but not Abraham. Abraham is more intent on advocating for any righteous remnant that might be in that city. And so he goes to God and he says, will you show mercy if we can find 50 righteous people in the city? And God says, yes. So what does Abraham do? He goes back not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, not five times. He goes back six times asking God for a greater grant of mercy. And ultimately, they settle on this number of 10. If they can find 10 righteous people, God will save the city. But what's instructive to me is that God was willing to go as far as Abraham was willing to push it, right? Mm -hmm. He didn't walk away until Abraham walked away. I'm convinced if God had said, "If if I can find one righteous person in that city, will you save it? I'm convinced God would have said yes. So I just, I just, I, I want so desperately to be a someone who doesn't walk away too soon and is willing to even push God to pour out more of His mercy because I think He's eager to do it. And here's here's the other thing, guys, and this is this is probably the most convicting to me. Are we one of those righteous remnant, mm-hmm. or are we? so eager to call out his destructive judgment on the ill we see around us that we're not really in a place where where when God comes looking, he's going to find us as being the cause for pouring out his mercy. Um, so convicting, but I guess to, to answer your question, let's not walk away so soon. I think God's willing to, to meet our confrontation and to pour out more of him, um, but I do think he's going to require us uh, asking him of it. I love that. You call it mercy advocates, right? Yep. Yep. What do you mean by that? Mercy advocates. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory, but dig into that a little bit. Well, so, okay. So there's, there's three types of mercy that I talk about in the book. And and the the one is uh, that the first two are ones that we're involved in, right? They're when we need mercy and we ask for it and, and God is certainly willing to give it to us. He sent his son to die for us for that, that purpose. The second is when we have wronged someone and we need to grant them mercy, right? It's two sides of the same coin. A mercy grant is needed. In one, we're receiving it. In the second, we're giving it. But there's a, a third type that we're called to in Scripture, and it's what Jesus embodied when he stepped between the, the woman who was accused of adultery and her accusers and granted her mercy and advocated on her behalf to the point that all her accusers walked away. You know, that was not that was not a situation that he had in ownership of on either side, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think those those are the type of situations that if we're going to be carriers of God's fame, we have to be willing to step into. There will be uh, people who um, we have to forgive because they've wronged us. That's hard enough. But how often are we willing to go the next step and engage in situations where 
we're not on either side of the issue. Mm-hmm. Are yeah. we willing to advocate for those people who need mercy and don't have anybody, anybody to advocate for them? And I would argue that to, to fully experience God's fame, that's one of the things that we're going to have to do. Wow. That's really good. Okay. I want to talk about something else that struck me and it's this, I love how you open up the chapter on follow the leader talking about how the word, the word leadership makes you cringe. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Which Did you say you love, you love that or you hate that? Well, it was a love hate because yeah. one of my titles is leadership. I'm on yeah. a leadership team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you make me cringe <laughs> in the most loving way. Yes. Yes. Um, but I, I love how you talk about what leadership really is supposed to look like from a biblical perspective with true followers, follower leaders. Um, this it's so good. And you talk about, well, first of all, tell us what you mean by follower leader. So, okay. So uh, by follower leader, I mean that we, if, if you're going to lead people, it will almost be by accident. And I know that sounds crazy because I know we're all called to hone our leadership skills and, you know, uh, prepare our speaking, our speaking skills and, you know, increase our, our platform. But the, the, when it comes to how to approach this issue in Scripture, there's really only ever one way that Jesus instructed us to do this, and it is follow hard after me yeah. or follow me mm-hmm. or lay aside what you're doing and follow me or take up your cross and follow me. And in, in all of those instances, I would argue that it will probably result in people following you but them following you and then you by default leading them is only valuable if you're if you're pointed in the right direction. Yeah. And the only way you can know if you're pointed in the right direction is if your eyes are set on the person that you're supposed to be following and you're following hard after them. So I'm not I'm not decrying people that have a large following. In fact, I think that's necessary if we're going to have this kind of, uh, you know, restoration or a revival back to God's side that, that I'm really desperate for. Yeah. But it's not going to happen if our focus is on everybody behind us and we're making decisions based on how they will react because, um, you know, that's going to lead you down the road of pilot, right? Yeah. Um, but, if, but if your eyes are on Jesus and you're following hard after him and seeking to be known by him, whoever decides to follow you because that's attractive, you're going to lead them in the right direction. I love that. We got a... Um... Someone criticized, this has been a few years back, but my husband and myself, and they the com- they were angry about something. And the comment that they made was, you just have so many people following you. And we didn't react in the moment, but when we got in the car to drive home later, my husband, Chris, so wisely said, we do have people following us, but we're running hard after Jesus. And so that means they are too. Yeah, And that well, was such a... Um, you know, the, the person accusing saw it as a negative thing and we saw it as a positive thing because we were following after Jesus. Yeah. I think, um, if my life is so unattractive that no one is drawn to it or wants no part of it, I'm doing something wrong. Right. Um, so I, um, there is a, uh, there's a worship leader at our church, and she said that hearing his voice is so much more important than finding my voice. But if we're hearing his voice and we're following it, I think our lives are going to be attractive to the point that people will follow. And I guess I guess I would just argue this to you, Heather, and I think, you know, you and I have had this conversation in person, so I know your heart is right here too, but I think there's actually a pretty easy way to, to, to judge whether or not we're walking this out. Mm-hmm. And it's whether or not anybody in our sphere of influence is passing us mm-hmm. and, and how we react when they do. Mm-hmm. Um, because if we're following hard after him and our real intent is for those who are in our sphere to do the same, we should be thrilled if they move past us and closer to him and have more influence for him. Yes. But if we, if we really just wanted to increase our own influence, we're going to be pretty desperate to stay a step ahead of them. Yeah, Yeah. that's so good. You say this, when a leader's reach is restricted to those within his or her influence, he or she is choosing to prioritize personal fame over the elevation of God's fame. Hmm. Yep. 
Yeah, it also comes with more responsibility, by the way. Paul told us that repeatedly, that yeah. not many of you should be teachers because you're going to be responsible for those who follow your instructions. So I, I would argue we better spend a whole lot more time making sure mm-hmm. that our instructions are correct than worrying about how many people are listening to them. That's so good. Well, and in that same chapter, Than, you quote Matthew six twenty four, which says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And it it really makes me think of kind of what culture makes very, very important in today's society, which is what we talked about at the beginning of the likes, of the follows, of, um, you know, how my my reach is so important based on how many people are liking the things, the content I'm putting out there, how many people are subscribing to my episode or my, you know, my um, social media. And yet down further, you talk about they loved human praise more than praise from God. And I, I look around um, and I do feel like in many settings, we're we're in that season where so much importance is put on the the um the the praise of man and what our society says is success as opposed to the praise of God. You know, going yeah. if God's called me to this and and people aren't necessarily getting it or receiving it, if God's called me to it, then that's got to be enough and that's got to be the point and that's got to be the mission. Um, I know that part really spoke to, to me, just um, not being so focused on making sure the crowd is satisfied, but yep. making sure he is satisfied with me. Yeah. Well, because they're going to come into conflict, right? I mean, they just inevitably are. The, the, the considerations of this world don't jive with the considerations of eternity. And, you know, sometimes a decision might satisfy both, the, both uh, God's eternal plan and our temporal surroundings. But when they don't, which one has the most sway in our in our decision making? And I, I would argue that it goes back to the, the fundamental question of, are we focused on following or leading? I really would. I mean, if your eyes are set on following the one you're supposed to be following, then you're going to naturally make a decision based on how he will react. But if you're, if you're focused mainly on those who are following you, um, you it might even be well-intentioned, but you're going to realize that you know, X amount of the people following me are not going to like this. And so you're not, you may not even realize that a decision that you're making is out of step with God's will, because you're, you're not, you're not looking to him for approval. You're looking to those who are following you. Mm, So good. At the end of chapter three, I'm going to read this. You say, the fame of your God will be lifted high when you choose to look for approval, not to those who are following behind you, but to the one you are following hard after. The fame of your God will be lifted high when you lay down the pursuit of leadership in exchange for the incredible privilege, honor, and calling of following. Let him chart your path. Choose to follow. Follow hard. That is really, really powerful. And and you are right in the sense that it is a bit counterculture. But what a privilege, too, right? I mean... um... What what are we that he is mindful of us and desires us to follow him and desires us to be entangled in his plan? I mean, you know, I, a God of his magnitude and his power, why didn't he just set the world into motion and then, you know, watch it spin to his glory? He, he desired us to participate in that. And so, yeah, it's a little bit of an admonishment to what we're naturally inclined to. But what a sacred privilege, too. I mean, I can't I can't think of anything better than the privilege uh, of following hard after him. So I, I think when we make this pivot, you guys will realize just how much we missed all along when we were trying to pursue our own thing. Mm-hmm. That's so good. So as we start to wrap this up, your last chapter is called The End of Our Stories. What do you mean mm-hmm. by that? Well, uh, they, they've been written. Um, but, uh, the end of our stories are written, but we're here for a purpose and it's not an accident. God has things that he wants to do in this world and they're intertwined with us. They're entangled with us, with us. And we have a choice now we can decide whether or not we want to use our time here to, to fill the middle chapters, so to speak, uh, with his purposes or with ours and whether or not we're going to entangle our lives in our, in the pursuit of our own fame or of his. And, and, you know, guys, maybe, maybe I would leave you with just one story because I I, I spend a lot of the pages of this, of this book 
talking about what we need to do, but we have to underpin that properly if it's going to have any sort of an impact. And it really has nothing to do with something that we do. It has to do with where we abide. And I just mm-hmm. quickly, if we have have a minute, we yeah. you you guys know, you guys know that our family has. Uh, just recently embarked on a new adventure where we uh, get to provide interim care for newborns. And when we were getting trained for this, uh, there was this there was this session where they were teaching us about how important the first few weeks of a baby's life are for the ability to attach. Mm. And they did a study on three groups of children, children with healthy attachment, children who had been abused, and children who had been neglected. And you guys, they found out that the children that had been abused actually fared better than the children who were neglected. And the reason for it is because the children that had been abused at least formed the grooves in their brain, the etchings in their brain of attachment. Now, they were damaged. They had to be healed over time. But the children who had been neglected didn't have those grooves at all. They didn't have any etchings, so to speak. And it was much more difficult to develop them. And the the researcher who was was teaching us uh, described it this way. He said, attachment is what fuels all of the other processes of the brain. And as I sat there thinking about this, you know, she's talking from a secular standpoint. And I thought, of course it does. Of course it does, because we were created to attach to our maker. And you guys, if we don't attach to him, if we don't abide in him, as John tells us to do, we can spin our wheels an awful long time trying to do things and make an impact. But our ability to make an impact is rooted in, and I would argue it's especially fueled by our attachment in him. So, again, I know a lot of this message, the message of this book is a doing one, but it has to start by attaching to him. Otherwise, the rest of it, it's it's just powerless. Mm, That's so good, Dan. That's so good. We are so proud of you. Proud of you guys. It's Just my like, favorite I'm, show. Can I come back? <laughs> you can, you're going to have to, you're almost a regular now. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, the H, H, and T hours. H, H, and N. There you go. Oh, yeah, because your name is technically starts with an N. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. T, N, yeah. one of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, hey, Than, we, I've got to tell you, um, you have been one of our greatest encouragers to mm. stay the course with this podcast. Um, we've been, we're three and a half years in and we've had a few moments where we've thought, is this worth it? Like, is this the right place to be putting our time? And, um, just to be honest, your consistent encouragement and the timeliness in which God has used your words has been very, very, very influential in us staying the course in us, not giving up too soon. And, um, so I just want to publicly thank you for that. Um, I know that, you know, miles apart, it could be very easy to kind of dis be um, unattached or um, not invested into what God's doing here in central Illinois. And I feel like you've done such a great job of really cheering us on in a really positive way. So thank you for that. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm proud of you guys. It's uh, almost every Tuesday morning. It's what I listen to. Sometimes if you guys post it early enough, Monday night. Um, but uh, no, I love it. And I, I would just just quickly, I'd echo back, uh, you know, one of the things that I ask people to do in this book is to move from a place of uh, telling God to do it again mm-hmm. to a place of calling it out from, from him um, and, and saying, um, do it again, God, and use me. Yeah. So I think that's what you guys have done. Um, rather than sitting back and, and asking God to show up, you guys have said, okay, we're here, we're ready to go. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think there are great things ahead for this podcast, guys. But, you know, honestly, and I mean this sincerely, both the podcast and the book, I, more than any of that, I fervently believe that our generation is going to experience this move of God um, that we haven't seen in generations. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I, for one, I'm ready for it. Amen. Yeah, I agree. And I'm excited for our kids because I believe that they're going to get to see things we have never gotten to see. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Well, you can find... My Fame, His Fame, anywhere you buy books, um, you can jump on right now to Amazon and get it within a day or two. Yep. So do it. I promise you will not regret it. It has. It is my favorite book that I've read in a long time. It is, <laughs> it is truly, and I don't say that just because he's my brother. I really, really have connected with this book in a powerful way. So I would encourage everyone listening to do that. Um, get it, read it. 
if it impacts you, buy another one and give it to someone that you know, because that is how this works. When we're encouraged by a message, then we're supposed to be the ones to carry that message out to other people. So go buy it today. We'll put a link on our show notes also. And Than, thank you so much for coming on. We love you. Come visit real soon. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Love you too. Love you, Than. Bye. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I know we're a little bit biased, but man, I just love him so much. And I just think that he's so gifted. And I truly, this book is just piercing my heart. Well, I think there's something so unique about knowing the individual who's authored a book because we know his heart yeah. and we know his um, how pure his motives are in writing and we know how much sacrifice it's taken. Yeah. You know, like it's it's not as if he just easily dropped this into the pages of a book. I mean, he had to set aside time, get up an hour early every, every day morning. to specifically to write for weeks on end. Because he has a full-time job that yeah. requires a lot from him. And he has three kids and a wife and, you know, pets and all those things. And so I guess I just want to say, like, someone out there is is waiting. Yeah. Do what Than said. Stop waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And yeah. say, okay, God, I'm ready. Here we go. Let's well, and do I, it. I also think it's sometimes in life, like we think, you know, in the next season, I'm going to really be devoted to God and what he wants me to do. Like when my kids are a little bit older, I'm going to then start serving in the church. Or maybe when my kids go off to preschool, then maybe I'll think about doing what God's put on my heart. But I really think it's so important that we go, God, what do you want me to do? today. You know, today it might be chatting with the mom that you see at the playground Mm -hmm. and you're like, you just have this knowing like, man, I am called to connect with Mm -hmm. her and to not like stand here and preach the gospel to her, but to be a portion of Jesus Mm -hmm. to her. And I had an experience like that today at the, we were at the trampoline park and there was this mama and I just, I felt the Lord say, she's your mission today. Mm. And it was interesting because she's a Christ follower. I didn't know her, but she's a Christ follower. And I just got to encourage her for a few minutes. And um, I, I just think that's so important. Like, God, what do you have for me to do today? And and don't wait. Don't wait for life to be perfectly in order and have all this white space before you start pursuing the call of God on your life. Yeah. And Than said it so clearly. Like, we're the vessels. We're yeah. the ones that go out there and do the work. Well, and I think the incredible thing about his book, so Habakkuk, he hadn't experienced firsthand the miracles of God. He had to rely on the words that were spoken Mm -hmm. by generations before him. And then that's like Than said, then he said, God, I've heard of your fame. Now do those, do it again, do it again in my day, do it again, because he was desperate to experience it. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's so crucial that we don't wait that we like, Hey, we're just going to wait to see a move of God. Cause really we are the move of God. Yeah, that's right. That's good. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're honored that you do. If you want to chat with us about this book, if you have questions or you want to send us your favorite quotes, we'd love to hear what, speaks to you through our podcast and through Than's book. So again, it's My Fame, His Fame by Than Bennett, T-H-A-N-N-B-E-N-N-E-T-T. You can find it anywhere you buy books. And we're so glad that you're going to go out and buy it and it's going to be life-changing for you. Mm -hmm. So have a great day. We'll chat with you next time.